We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Chasing Hardware, the podcast that sits down with the sports figures you grew up with and hears their stories. Welcome to Chasing Hardware. I'm your host, Rich Lamello. My guest today came out of Canarsie High School in Brooklyn, went to Georgia Tech, where he helped put that program on the map, winning an ACC title just a few years after going winless in league play. He then played for three of the most iconic NBA teams of all time, the Bad Boys in Detroit, the 96 Bulls, and the Shaq and Kobe Lakers. Along the way, he won four rings with three teams across three decades. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Chasing Hardware, Mr. John Sally. John, welcome. Hey, it's so great to be on Penthouse Radio. (laughs) 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 Anybody here from Penthouse? We ain't talking. Rich, how are you, brother? Grandma, don't listen. Grandma, don't listen. Oh, man. Well, John, it's great to have you on. Um, yes. I, I guess let, let's start. You're, you're born in Brooklyn. You're raised in the Bayview houses. And mm-hmm. I'm always curious, um, like, you know, in, in that era, when when you were playing basketball in the neighborhood, was it at the Bayview houses or did you travel yeah. to play good ball? I did. I, uh, growing up, I played in the Bayview houses. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my really good friends, um, I still talk to to this day was uh, my boy Neil. He was the big Jewish guy at that time, right? He's six, six three, six four, in big test with, with the nice afro, and he was playing, and he was busting everybody's butt. And uh, you know, I, I I grew up in an Italian Jewish neighborhood, so we were like the second black family in the neighborhood. Like 1958, my mom's won the lottery and got got a, an apartment in the baby houses. I was born in the 60s. By, by the time I was born at six years old, my brothers, Brian and Jerry, had already smacked up and beat up anybody who had something to say. So I, I grew up differently. It was like, if anybody's old enough to remember Sidney Poitier in the Blackboard Jungle, that's, that's, what, that's what it seemed like when I was growing up. You know, he was in charge of the crew and nobody was saying the wrong words. Um, but then 
I started trying. Mark Jackson's father um, took, I guess, he saw something in me. And I uh, was like, yeah, this kid is going to be okay. And he would come and pick me up in Brooklyn and drive me back to Queens to play. Uh, and then I got with Ted Gustus, one of the greatest coaches in Brooklyn history. Uh, but first I learned my fundamentals in that park with Barney Davis. God rest his soul. He just passed in December uh, or January. And 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 Barney would have me working on my fundamentals. And then Ted did nothing but sharpen that. Uh, and then I had to go play for Gil Reynolds. Uh, Bernard King played, Albert King played, Sid Green. If you were in if you were a Brooklyn kid and you were gonna make it to the next level, you had had to play with Gil Reynolds. Alonzo uh Charles, Lorenzo Charles, God rest his soul too. You remember he's the one that dunked the ball from NC State. Yeah. And uh, at the last the last second against Houston. And I'm I'm just telling you, it was it was a, a, a routine or a spot you had to go through. Um one of these great coaches who I still talk to to this day, Ted Gustus, wind up becoming vegan uh after meeting with me and calling me coach. Hmm. Um but yeah, it was definitely you you had to go through. I played in every single park in New York City except the Rucker. Okay. And the reason and I played for the Gauchos. When I left Brooklyn, I went all the way up to the Bronx every day to play on some version of the teams up in the Bronx. I played in Long Island. Uh Arnie Hershkowitz would take me out there to play my senior year. And I mean yeah, that was the best experience for me because they were moving so fast out in Roosevelt where Dr. J's from. Mm -hmm. They're moving so fast that by the time I got to playing in high school and in college, the guys wasn't moving as fast. And, you know, back in the day, you'd watch the games, and right, Rich? And the games look like they're slow and methodical and he's running these plays. That's a fact. Fast game, brother, because you got to remember to play after play after play after play. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm sorry for a long answer, but, you uh, know, that's I can listen that's to that stuff all day. <laughs> well, okay. and, and, and that's like a fascinating time in, in city basketball because yeah. you're coming out of Canarsie, um, which, oh, by the way, is where World Be Free and Jeff Houston had played just a few years before you, you know, kind of like yes. seven years before you. Your senior year, Walter Berry, is also first team all city out of Ben Franklin Hyde, your first team. Yeah. All city. Um, Ernie Myers, who goes on to play for that NC state team, he's at Tolentine and, and give or take a year or two, you've got Pearl Washington at boys, Chris Mullen, Eddie Pinckney. I mean, just some legends coming out at the exact same time. Yeah. And, uh, I remember um, Mully came out before me, like Mully would have us come out to play in Marine park. And for those who don't know, there was a lot of racial tension in the 60s and 70s. I don't know if you guys are up on current events, but, <laughs> but you know, that's early, late 1979, 80, 81. I graduated high school in 82. And I remember Chris Mullen playing. We playing against Severian, and he had 39 and two quarters. <laughs> He was destroying us, but we used to let us come all the way out to Marine Park and the Italian kids didn't chase us because they knew we were going to play against Chris Mullen. 
Right. And um, yeah, I played with Don Marbury, which is Steph Marbury's, uh, Stephen Marbury's uh, brother, older brother. I played with some really, uh, Wendell Alexis wound up going to Syracuse. Sure. Um, Ed Pitney was the best though. I, I, when I played with Ed Pitney in Detroit, I, I, it was amazing to me playing with Ed Pitney, watching him score, watching him rebound, the way he defended. Just he just so New York, and 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 I I I tell people all the time when they start saying who's the best player you've ever seen, I've seen World Be Free go against Fly Williams. I, I've I was I was at the Dipmas All Star Gym. Uh, Dittmas Gym at, at the at the junior high school right there on um, Atlantic and uh, Rockaway. So Ted Gus has had me around watching, and I also went up to the Tiny Archibald tournament and played in that, and and got to see Tiny walk in and out. I was ecstatic. Like people would never, like the the people I see as the greatest and and some of the best players. Adrian Dantley. Um, I, I just seen some great players that we don't get to talk about. Yeah. Well, and so so when you're coming out of Canarsie, how did you how did you choose Georgia Tech? I mean, at the time, Bobby Kremens had like just taken over the program. Like I mentioned at the open, the year before he got there, they went winless in ACC play. Kremens is a young guy coming from Appalachian. Yeah. How did you end up there? Um. Coach Felton, so okay. George Felton, assistant and coach. Um, assistant coach of Bobby Crimmins. Bobby wrote me a handwritten letter, and um, and he would I would get a letter weekly, but they'd be handwritten. Everybody else, I got the program letters that everybody sends. They just put your name in it, you know. Um, and then he told me I was going to have to give up six hours of my social life. And I was like, what's, what's social life? <laughs> I didn't know what he meant. And I, he said, yeah, because it's that much to study and you got to give up that time and you got to dedicate it to your, to your studies, which were very important. And he said, listen, if you come down, we can start the A train back, just like he did when he had gone to South Carolina. Coach McGuire convinced him that, you know, bringing guys from New York down will change the team change the environment and i agreed bruce darable showed up we stopped over in maryland and got uh uh dwayne farrell yeah uh my boy scott petway was from chicago we even we even took the the train from staten island we went all the way down to haiti and got yvonne joseph <laughs> well no what what but the Haitian what, what sensation. sensation. Kenny Anderson wind up coming. Uh, Steph Marbury, Starbury wind up coming. Um, it's just Coach Crimmins seemed so real to me. And uh, once I visited Atlanta, Richard, there's the funniest thing. I get off the plane and uh, you got to, this is 1981. I get off the plane as a, I got a black flight attendant. I, I got a black guy meeting me in a red jacket greeting me we get downstairs when my bag comes through we had the bellman coach gets the car we put it in the car we're driving and i'm looking at the city skyline he's pointing to it 
Um, I then get <clears throat> to the Peachtree Plaza. The guy that grabbed my bag was black. I went upstairs. The girl behind the counter was black. And, and I looked at the coach. I said, any white people live in the city? <laughs> he started dying. He said, well, you know, the city, <laughs> the city is 85% black. And I said, and they all got jobs? He goes, yeah. <laughs> so I get upstairs and I call my mother. And she goes, how is it? I said, I'm going to Georgia Tech. She goes, oh, how's the school? I said, I don't know, Ma. I said, but black folks got jobs in Atlanta. <laughs> and she was like, well, you got to check the school out. I said, well, I'm going to be good at school. And, you know, he's telling me I'm going to play a lot. And it's the ACC. And no one knew. Me, Len Bias, God rest his soul, Johnny Dawkins. We talked about all three going to the same squad. Mm. So it hadn't been LeBron and 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 those guys doing it first, like we were like, hey, one, at Syracuse liked um, uh, what's his name, Wendell Alexis more, um, and uh, I didn't want to go anywhere else. I wanted to go to Georgetown, and God rest his so John Thompson wouldn't. You know, he said, "I heard you were a thug." I was like. You heard I was a thug. You were about a thug being on the, the Georgetown. Are you kidding me? Don't play. You're a thug. You're in charge of the thugs. Oh, uh, we laugh about that. He goes, I didn't know you were going to grow to 6'11 either. That's what Wilt Chamberlain told me too. I mean, uh, Willis Reed, when he was, he said, I didn't know you were going to grow in college. But I, you know, I loved the way I was. The way I perceived Atlanta, I, I think I needed to get that far away from New York. I needed to get to a point where nobody can drive down and stay on the couch. Mm. Um, I needed to get away and have my own space. And then I was going to go to Maryland, and Lefty told me that I was going to have to play behind Ben Coleman. Mm. And I'm not. I didn't. I understood time. And I, to this day, I, I understand it. Um, like when you said, hey, I want to do this podcast, don't know you from a can of paint, but I understand time. And I understand uh, if I do it right away, then it's done. If you get it done right away, now you have better time to edit. You have a better attitude toward me. I have a better attitude toward you. Time will change your attitude. You know what I'm saying? If you're late, your attitude is, oh my God, what are they gonna think about me? If you're in there and somebody's late, you're pissed off by what they're doing. So time is important. And I didn't have time to sit on the bench. Right. I had I had to be thrown right in and play with the best of the best, playing against Ralph Sampson. He blocked my shot five times before I dumped on him the sixth time. Mm -hmm. And I and I know my brothers figured out how to get cable from somewhere <laughs> so i hear so i hear rich and uh i i knew when they dunked it they were i dunked it it was happy as ever but i said that i have to play now by the time i was at in the acc championship well acc uh tournament we beat maryland in double or triple overtime and it's because i learned how to play better um by playing not by sitting on the bench. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that first year um, that you're at Georgia tech, 
like you said, you lose to you, you guys make it to the ACC semis. You lose to Ralph, uh, who's a senior right. year. Um, and it's you and Mark Price, our freshman on that team. Um, yeah. And you guys become like kind of the core that, you know, as you were mentioning a few minutes ago, all of a sudden, Dwayne Farrell, Bruce Dalrymple, Yvonne Joseph kind of builds around you. Craig Neal. Um, was that a pretty exciting time where you all of a sudden starting to participate in the recruiting? No, well, yeah, I said to coach. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Coach Crimmins will hate me saying this. But I said to coach, if you give me a thousand dollars in a car, that everybody you put in front of me is gonna come to Georgia Tech. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm from I'm from a part of Canarsie, they dump bodies. Uh, so <laughs> It's very mob or if you treat this like the mob, we will have the mob in place here. Right. Um, and, and I did. I, I remember Dwayne Farrell had committed before he left. Michael Christian committed that Sunday morning when they're leaving. Uh, if you if you get to hang out with me, I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't snore. I don't do any drugs. I don't do anything like that. But I do believe in having a good time, but I won't destroy my body in doing it. And you're going to realize I'm a, a good energy to be around. We're going to have fun. I also had, um, I don't think I had, I don't think it was JJ Reddick. I wish I would have had JJ Reddick. Um, I remember his name. I had this one player that coach wound up let, getting away uh, because he didn't want to. He was such, he's such a man of his word. He wouldn't over recruit, but he would have to bring in players because, you know, you got to say, Hey, this player came to visit me. You got to say it. And, um, but he wouldn't over recruit us. Mm. And which I thought was a mistake. I think, I think competition builds one character and two, it makes you play better. It's that university of Alabama mentality. The, the better the players are around you, the better you should be. Right. Um, your junior year. So like you guys yeah. are like steadily improving, right? Like you're, you're, you make it to the ACC semis as a freshman. Yeah. You guys come in, in uh, fifth place in the league. You're starting to move up your junior year. You guys break through you, you win the ACC. You're, you're tied for the regular season title. You win the ACC tournament by beating. I mean, this is murderers row UVA Duke and UNC in the ACC tournament on three consecutive nights. Tell me about that experience. Cause that's just legendary. Yeah. And that is because of the first year against Maryland. And I remember after playing Maryland and beating them in double or triple overtime, I, my legs didn't work. And, and, going against you know the next day it was it was going to be crazy you have to know how to be in shape mm -hmm. i know it sounds crazy to put it that way and why i said it you have to learn how to be in shape is because it is it's not you have to be in shape there's a lot of people in shape there's people that can run 24 miles 100 miles 50 miles in these super marathons but are they in shape to go up and down hit an elbow remember to play um, know how to slide your feet. No, it, it's so much you have to learn because you're not on any game plan. In the ACC tournament, it's basketball, basketball, basketball. You stop that guy from putting the orange um, circle into the orange circle. And as many times you can stop them and as many times you can score, that's what determines you win because you don't have time for the scouting report. 
You don't have time to know if this guy likes going left. It's things you have to just man up and play. Sure. And I remember, you know, I'm going against, there's another thing I wanted to, I love going to the big competition. When I went to visit Georgia Tech, it was Georgia Tech versus North Carolina. And Michael Jordan and, and James Worthy and Sam Perkins had just come off of winning the championship. Well, that was the year they were going to win the championship. Mm. So going against North Carolina always meant something because Dean Smith also thought I was a thug. And, Whitney, <laughs> and I was like, I love being from Brooklyn, but boy, it brings so much on top of it. People just all of a sudden think that, you know, you, you got a switchblade. When I didn't, <laughs> I had a double, I had a double oh seven. <laughs> but, uh, but it was like, I wanted to prove. And then it's Brad Darty right there, who was, you know, Mr. Fundamental before there was um, Tim Duncan. There's, this Brad, this Brad Darty, and I only see in my brain, in my eyes, um, the opportunity to be on TV to show people that we can play. Mm. And one of my favorite dunks, I wind up, I couldn't make up my mind, but I got a fast break dunk, and I just jumped and tomahawked it. And I, as I put it behind my head, going to the basket, I'm thinking. Oh, this was the wrong choice of dunk. You're gonna miss this, <laughs> but I didn't. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> and I remember we were driving back to campus because it was at the Omni, and we're in a van going back to campus. When we get back to our rooms, the the, the campus is going crazy. There's people running in and around me that I had never seen. There was girls I'd never seen. Uh, black girls on top of that. I said, where do y'all go to school? They were like, here at Georgia Tech. I was like, I've never seen you. Uh, <laughs> they're like, we study here. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, I remember the party. I remember coach had us eating at Fuddruckers, which, you know, now with me wearing my Beyond Meat shirt, I just right. can't believe I destroyed my body like that. But then, I know going in the ACC tournament, we had we didn't have a good first game. And once again, time, right? We had time. You had to pay attention. And I, I was like, hey, we can't lose. Like, we're destined to be, you know, we can't lose. We have to play as if we're playing. No one is better than the ACC at this time. Not right. in my eyes. Right. Um, even though Villanova goes against Georgetown in the finals. But... <laughs> I, I still think that the ACC is a better league with Len Bias in it and Johnny Dawkins and Tommy Amaker and um, uh, who else? Uh, Lorenzo Charles, um, like North Carolina. Um, I, I'm just, right, I'm just, North Carolina State. I, I'm just thinking um, – the twins that come in or about to come in, uh, Harvey and Horace Grant. Mm. I just remember we, I just thought the ACC was better. And the only way is you don't have time to prepare. Now you're going to get a scouting report, but throw it out of the window because you're not going to remember that. Right. And, and I said, no one's going to be better than the three games we just had. So let's just play like that. I like that better. Yeah. And then, and then you guys go into the so you've won the ACC. You guys go into the NCAA tournament and you make it to the round of eight. 
and you yeah. go up against the the Ewing Georgetown team, and it's a great game, but they yeah. win. Um, yeah. and, then, and then they go on to lose to Villanova in that final. What was that game like against Georgetown and Ewing and, and John Thompson and his opinion of you? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, you know, I've been, I played against Patrick when I was in high school. Um, I, I, I had gone up to Boston. Um, I, I went up with the Riverside Church. Uh, Hawks. And uh, Ernie, yeah, Ernie wanted me. He just wanted to, you know, get in the way of Lou Dameda and the Gauchos. He didn't even play me. And he took two of, I think, me and Andre Irvin. I mean, not Andre Irvin. Um, 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 yeah, Andre Irvin. And he took us, but he wasn't really going to play us. And so I got to meet Patrick and hang out with Patrick. I was young. He was young. And I knew everything about Patrick. I knew every move. I know how, when he got to the pros, he turned into a new Patrick Ewan. He hmm. became a scorer. And, and uh, Hubie, Hubie like, like made him score. So I knew what to do. I knew he was going to jump to block my shot. I got him in early foul trouble. And I'm giving Georgetown the business on television. And the, the only thing that cost us, and I felt so, I felt for him, and I still do, is Mark Price went for like 0 for 15 or something like that against mm -hmm. Michael Jackson, who didn't, who didn't score as well. So they blocked each other out. But me going against Donaldson, and I think it was, I forgot the other kid's name, just to prove to, uh, to, to George Thompson, um, hey, listen, I may be a thug, but this is where you want the thugs. You want the thugs on the court. He went to a box and won. And then uh, they were holding the ball out. Like, I couldn't believe he was done because I, I was not losing that game. You couldn't tell me I was going to lose that game. Yeah. Uh, I wound up getting a concussion that game. Oh, David yeah. Wingate. Yeah, David Wingate. I took a charge. And, and David Wingate fell on me and my head hit the ground a couple of times. And uh, I couldn't go to sleep that night. They made me stay awake. I was telling my brothers, I said, well, we might as well drive to Brooklyn. Oh, from Boston is like, you ready? I said, like, yeah, might as well if I can't go to sleep. So we told Coach Crimmins that uh, I was going home and then I would fly back from Brooklyn, from uh, JFK. And he agreed. So we drove back to Brooklyn Got from it. Providence. Yeah. Um, and, and then the next year, you guys, uh, you know, another successful year, uh, you finished second in the league. Duke is just a buzzsaw that year. That's the year they lose to Louisville in the final, but they're number one start to finish all year. Yeah. You guys lose to them in a really close ACC final. Yeah. Um, and then, and then in the NCAAs, you play LSU, who a lot of people didn't rate that highly, and you play them in the Omni in the NCAA tournament and lose. Was that a frustrating one? Yeah. That, this is the craziest thing. It was frustrating. You mentioned Craig Neal. I love Craig Neal. Uh, we were beating them, and Craig had a fast break, and he went to dunk it, and he missed the dunk. And everybody thought he should have laid it up. And, and, uh, and next thing you know, they get the ball. And I don't even remember that play because I remember Craig's face. He felt so bad. And I, I that's the only part of the game I remember is that my friend felt he lost the game for us. And he didn't. I always say one play doesn't lose the game. 
But exactly. one play doesn't doesn't cost the whole game usually. Remember, if it gets to that point, the, the everything before it also, you need to check that. And right. so I remember that. And I remember getting in and going against, but LSU had um had one of the top players who was considered to be um he wound up was his nickname became Hot Plate. Oh, John John Wynn. Yeah. yeah. But he was like really, really good at years. But they had this other guy who wound up dying, Rian, Rian, or something like that. Um, I just think we didn't have the same team. We didn't have the same mentality. We didn't have Yvonne and Scott Petway. And we didn't have our core. We had we didn't have what was necessary. Right. But losing in um at the Omni. Um, it kind of helped me because it was time to move on. Right. And losing that game, I mean, I no longer was an NCAA player and I can live my life. And, uh, and that was good. I needed to move on to become a professional athlete. And so then you, you get drafted by Detroit and yeah, the NBA is funny because in, in, in football, you talk about these drafts where like five and six guys come out and, you know, are starters. That's a great draft. Obviously, basketball is just completely different. But the Pistons draft that year is you and Dennis Rodman from yes. South Oklahoma State. That's That's got to be one of the better drafts, you know, of the last 25 years, 30 years. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you guys come in. The Pistons are a team on the rise. Chuck Daly's the coach. And, you know, obviously, Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumars are in the backcourt. Lambeer's up front. You guys come in and it's a fascinating lineup because you guys have a lot of depth. There's um, Adrian Dantley's just come in and Sidney Green is there. Um, Vinny Johnson coming off the bench. Uh, he's a Brooklyn guy, right? Yeah. Vinny yes, Johnson. Is. Yeah. One of the and, best. Yeah. The the microwave because he heats up yes. so quickly. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> um, and, and you guys, uh, the prior season had been a disappointing year. They lost in the first round of the playoffs to Atlanta. And so there's a little bit of a remaking of the roster. You're part of that, you know, through the draft with Dennis and you guys come in and you have this great season and you lose a really tough Eastern conference final to Boston. What was it like that transition to the NBA and that team in particular? <clears throat> well, that's what I mean by God rest his soul. Arnie Hershkowitz, who was a guy who took interest in my, in my future as an athlete, kept me in mind of playing basketball, going up to playing in Long Island, in Roosevelt, Long Island, in the in the summer in the in the summer league, was well, spring summer league, mm -hmm. and these guys being so fast and grown men, and then in Georgia, down in Atlanta, I would play in the summer league against Dominique Wilkins and 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 the like. So I was used to playing against pros, mm -hmm. and when I got there, I had Adrian Dantley. Um, I love this guy. I called him the teacher. And teach would, you know, one, teach me how to eat, how to, he tried to teach me how to be in public, but he was introverted. So you can't have, you can't teach an extrovert how to be in public. And, uh, but I was, I was so, I was so happy that he taught me what he taught me in it. And I was able to move um, accordingly and, and properly. Um, I, I, Sid Green. I was such a fan of Sid Green's, you know, 
because he played for, you know, they want to call me baby Sid and all that stuff. And when I'm in the Empire State games, we're up at Syracuse and, and Sid is up there. And I've just, just loved being around all these guys who were veterans. And I didn't realize it. I didn't realize I was there to take their, take a job. You know, a lot of guys don't realize they get on a team and they go, oh, we're on a team. No, that's, you're, you're there for work. Mm-hmm. And I learned that very quickly. And um, it stuck to me. Like, this is my job now. This is not just something I do for fun or I do for bragging rights. This is, I do this to feed myself and to help my coach keep feeding himself and, and everybody around. So everybody's responsible for the other person eating. And when you think about it that way, you play better because mm-hmm. you know, you're not there just to, you know, um, chuck and dive. You're not there to do any of that stuff. You're there to play to win. And I thought, you know, uh, Red Auerbach told me that I was the number one pick in the country a year before, uh, Len Bias, Mark Brown, uh, Mike Brown, um, and I, we would go to, what was it, Boston's Summer League uh, camp, and they would have some of, the, some of the guys who were trying out. So at night, the games were, they were looking for players. Hmm. And so he was... I'm playing against these guys and he's telling me I'm going to be his pick. So when he picked Len Bias, which was a great pick and a better pick, when I saw Red Arback, I said, Red, you told me I was going to be wearing green and white. Now, I'm a kid from Brooklyn that was a fan of the Boston Celtics, Hmm. not the New York Knicks. And everybody asked me why. I was like, well, they were the first team to hire a black coach and everybody shuts up. Hmm. Um, and And they have banners and a lot of them. And I like, I like green and white. And my boy Tiny Archibald was there. You know, and Tiny put it down for me. So I said to him, every single time I play you, I'm going to act like I'm playing a home game. And I'm going to act like I'm playing for you, but I'm going to be playing against you. So I had a, a really good game. But then Adrian Dantley and Vinny Johnson collide. And they caught Vinny, you know, they caught... Uh, Adrian Dantley off and Vinny is sitting there with an ice bag on his head. And uh, we thought we had him beat because we beat him in game five. But, you know, when Isaiah threw the ball and, and bird steals it and throws it to DJ, we know we had that game. So right. we now believe we can beat these guys that they're, they're not, you know, they do believe Larry bird is an alien and is one of the greatest players I've ever played against. And I tell people all the time, they say, who's the greatest player you ever played against? I say Magic Larry Bird Johnson, because I consider them like the same person. <laughs> uh, and they were so hard to play against. But Larry is was just legend. That's why he should be called Larry Legend. Right. But I remember that game. I remember, I remember coming home and they go, that's it. And I go, that's it. No more practice. You go from 32 games to 27 games to 82 games plus playoffs, man, your body can't can't take it unless you're mentally mentally stable. Well, nobody in the NBA is mentally stable, but mentally strong. <laughs> mentally <laughs> strong. 
I would say at that, at the, at the playing time. Right. Yeah. And you guys, you lose that series ultimately. And, and yeah, like you point out that, that bird steel is a huge turning point for them. Um, and you guys have become a very physical team, you know, not a big surprise mm-hmm. guys like, uh, you know, Lambeer's on the team, Horn. Um, and- but everybody in the league was physical. Right. It wasn't it was just a, us. It was a different time. Yeah, it was a different time. Yeah. yeah. But Al Davis, I didn't realize, I mean, obviously I've always known of you guys as, you know, the bad boys, but before that next season, Al Davis sends you guys a bunch of Raiders merchandise because he just loved the fact that you guys were these, you know, bad boys that kind of the envisioned like you, you guys playing the way his football team played. And so he sends you guys a bunch of merch and if I understood this correctly, you guys go out to play Golden State and he gives you warm-up jerseys that are like emblazoned with Raiders stuff on it. Is yeah. That- okay. <laughs> yeah. I, and I was just with the the fellow who was in charge of that named um, uh, Mike Ornstein. Okay. So I was with Mike Ornstein. Mike Ornstein was in charge of so much, making sure when the Raiders went to L.A., that he he was the best transition that they can possibly be, but he gives us a whole bunch of things. And Bill Lambert says, "Yo, we're like the Raiders of the NBA." <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? So, and and I have to let everybody know, God rest his soul, too. David Stern, the commissioner of the NBA, the greatest of all time. Yep. He named us bad boys. We 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 didn't. We would have been the Raiders. Like right. our names would have been the Detroit Raiders, you know what I'm saying? Um, but he gives us, and I remember it was white, and it had the, you know that black and white, and it had the the patch on right over the heart, and uh, everything everything we can fit and everything we can have. He was so smart. Um, and we were walking billboards. I was a <laughs> seven foot billboard for the Oakland Raiders. That's so funny. Uh, which I think by that time had become the Los Angeles Raiders. One of the, one of the two was about to. Um, just that mentality that he thought, if you're going to be bad, you might as well be in the baddest garb. Yeah. And it was it was perfect match for you guys because it just kind of took on the city's identity, right? Like the team, yeah, sure did. city and the state just embraced that. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, the, that blue lion, the lions, you know, we had Barry. And, you know, going in, we just had got Rodney Pete coming in in 1989 or 1990. You know, everything was moving in the city. The city was playing. Gibby was playing great. Um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, what's his name? He wound up dying too. Uh, but before that, we had um, on the hockey team, um, Eis- what's his name? Steve Eiserman. Yeah, Eiserman. Steve Eisenman, I'm telling you, the city was packed with sports, bro. Yeah. And and crack cocaine. But (laughs) (laughs) the good with the bad. (laughs) It was it's good with the bad, I'm telling you. Um, and that year, you guys get to the final, you break through, you get to the final, you're you're in a great series with the Lakers and the phantom foul on Lambeer, where he goes up, he's you know, he's in his cone. And they call him on a foul. I'm just saying it was a questionable call. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was like, a very questionable call. Um, and, and that just changed everything. Uh, Kareem hits the foul shots and... Yeah, 
it was Isaiah had a broken leg. Uh, you know, he breaks his, he twists his ankle. He gets up. He goes into a mode. We're winning that game six, man. I just, I, I go back through that too. Like a lot of times, I don't remember any of the games I played in. But if you mention them like you just did, I can tell you how it felt after the game or what was going on in my in my mind. But I can't, I cannot tell you not one game I've ever played in my life. <laughs> That's the crazy thing. Because I played hard and I played a game within a game within a game every time I played. So they it's just one continuous game to me. Yeah. That's why I like when they talk about big games and they go, man, I play well in big games because I play all the games like they're big. Oh, I got to write that one down, Rich. <laughs> <I'll write> that. <laughs> That's magical. That's magical right there, Rich. I got to write that one down, brother. <laughs> I got it for you. I wrote it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and that game, like you said, Isaiah, I don't know, he twists his ankle or sprains his ankle. It He can barely fit it in his shoe. Uh, he can yeah. barely put the shoe on, and he scores 27 points in the third quarter. He just goes off. But then there's that call at the end, and you guys lose. And then in game seven, he can barely go. And right. I think in the first half, he plays pretty well, but he can't go in the second half. And they put you out there. They put like the speed lineup out there. Yeah. You guys are down 15 points and you cut it to two in like five minutes. I mean, it's crazy. It's it's you and Rodman and Vinny Johnson. And it looks like you're going to pull it off. And then at the end. Yeah, and then yeah, they let James Worthy push Dennis in the back. See, I remember this now. They let Dennis push him in the back. They let uh, the, the refs are keeping everything tight. I mean, I'm telling you, if Dennis took a three-pointer he shouldn't have taken because right. he didn't know. Um, but nowadays, that was a great shot. Nowadays. Right. But back yeah. then, everything was more uh, detailed, bring it down, set up the play, then go in. Right. Um, that's that. That's mainly how, how it would go. Yeah. Uh, but it was the greatest thing in the world because the worst, the, the best thing in the world, Rich, is... We lose in game seven in 1988. And we're going back to the hotel and people are yelling at the bus and we get back and we got to hear people at the Marriott, airport Marriott, cheering and blowing horns. And we have to sit there. We have to leave the next day. Right. We couldn't just get on the plane and leave like we should have. And I'm sitting in my window just listening to it. When we get on the plane, Isaiah said, well, we got to have home court advantage, so we need to win like 63 games or 65 games or like that. Out of 82, we got to win. If we can win 70. That's, this is his conversation when we're leaving California, going back to Detroit on how to get back to the finals. Uh, it's not even a question if we're going to get back to the finals. Right. It's just when we get back to the finals, we have to have home court advantage. Get back to work. We got to get back here, and right. we got to win. But we got to get back here first. Let's yeah. not talk about winning the championship. Let's talk about getting back to this point and then adjusting what it takes to get, get in the finals and know what you need to do. And that was our mentality. Got to win. Got to get home court advantage in order to win. And that's exactly what you guys do. You win 63 yes. games. Uh, yeah. in the 89 season 
And the one thing happens during that year, your mentor, Dantley, is traded for Mark Aguirre. Dantley yeah. was giving up some playing time to Rodman, didn't love it, and Aguirre comes in. Um, curious, yeah. you know, kind of how you felt about that, given your relationship with Dantley. Obviously, you won with Aguirre, but um, and then also there's the whole Michael Jordan thing and the introduction of the Jordan rules, which is if I you know kind of understand it correctly, it's among other things, doubling him. Make sure I don't sure. know. I'm, I don't know Jordan rules. I've never heard of those. <laughs> <laughs> Doubling him, making him go left, psychological as much as physical. You know, making sure he feels it a little bit when he comes off a pick. Um, as Joe Dumars said when asked to explain it, I don't know, but there's the Da Vinci Code, the Coca Cola formula, and the Jordan rules. <laughs> <In that order. laughs> That's a great line. <laughs> uh, so, that's what I say. Uh, Jordan rules, Jordan rules. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, waitress, <laughs> please give my check. Um, this is, this. I'm glad you bring it to that. I, I literally cried when AD got traded. But believe this, Rich, Chuck Daly told me, he goes, you were in that trade. And they did, obviously didn't want me or decided, hey, Let's keep what we have here and make one change. Mm. And when Mark gets there, we're in LA. We lose. It's it's Valentine's Day. We lose on Valentine's Day night, knowing we're gonna play the play the the Lakers in the finals again, but I think we lose. We get traded that he gets traded that next afternoon. He leaves and we have to wait. We're on our way up to Seattle. We have to wait because Mark is flying in. Hmm. And then Mark flies in and they bring, you know, the bus goes around and brings them and we get on our jet. He's like, hey, hey, hey. And he sits in ADC. And guys don't know what to say because this is a guy we were going back and forth against. And on the way up, when we get off the plane and we get on the bus in Seattle, we sit in ADC because that's that's the open seat. And he clicked with us right there. Mm. And then they put me on injury reserve because I had a stress fracture in my ankle. And so he can get as much playing time. But it was a 10 days that I needed and it was 10 days that he needed. To become, become for us to become right. And and I needed to rest my leg. And it was a trip. My brother said, Well, your ankle is hurt, but your upper body needs some muscle. So we were at Powerhouse Gym every day. So when it when it when I was off injured reserve, I was stronger. I was already mentally strong, but now I started seeing my shoulders look like Dwight Howard. And I, I started, you know, my hair was in perfect high top fade. Everything, everything was going right. And our main objective was to get back to where we were to take on. And I, when we did that, when we got back, it was business. It was yeah. like, we got home court advantage. We went in game one. We went in game two. Uh, when did Magic pull his hamstring? Game, game two? I think game two, oh, game yeah. Two. And Byron Scott yeah. was hurt. Yeah, yeah. And so... Yeah, it, it, they could have had Byron Scott. They could have had Magic. As Isaiah would say, you, we either going to win the game or win the fight. One of them is going to happen. Right. <laughs> yeah. And you guys yeah. crush it in the playoffs. You're 15-2. and yeah. two. I mean, there was no question. Yeah. that. I just remember thinking, 
you know, watching that series, what well, watching that whole playoffs, thinking there's nobody stopping these guys. It was just like fate. No. You just tell. Um, yeah. And the toughest thing about that is it's an expansion year. Minnesota is coming into the league, and and I can't remember which the, which of the other ones it was. Maybe Orlando. Um, Minnesota's coming in the league. You guys are literally like back celebrating in the parade, and you find out Rick Mahorn has been is is now with the Timberwolves. How tough is that? It's so tough because I still have those pictures. There's no way you're telling us that we have to give up anybody. Right. This 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 is the team that's going to go back to back, and we did without Rick. Right, right, and, and which was crazy. You know, but like I said, I don't realize, I didn't realize how important time was. And you can't have Dennis, Mark Aguirre, Dennis getting better. I'm getting better. Mark Aguirre needs his minutes. And, you know, you just, it, there's not enough time. James right. Edwards needed some minutes. It's just not enough time for all of us. Right. Like, I, I want to tell guys who watch now, watch the Lakers, and they say different things like, um, you know, these guys should be winning. There's not enough time for the guys they have on court. There's not, and you, and you need time um, to get into a rhythm. And if, if, if you got too many guys there and the coach has to be, his substitutions are based upon minutes, not upon, you know, if a guy's playing good, you leave him in there. But if you got a guy who has to get his minutes behind him and he's who are in hollering, I need my minutes. It, it's you're not going to win. Yeah. And so, but I didn't understand what that was and, and I was getting better. So, you know, I'm going from 17, 25 minutes to 36 minutes. I'm getting better and I'm getting more minutes. Uh, it killed me. It was the second time I cried. And Rick Mahorn still talks about Sally was crying like a baby. Yeah. I I I I love these guys. And this was this was this was the camaraderie in basketball that I've always dreamt of. And you know, we're gonna get there and beat up on you. The fact that you get paid for it was is the blessing. But we also just had that mentality that we were going to be better than you. We were going to prove it. It, it was, we loved that competition. Yeah. Um, but they got rid of Rick, man. And I cried, bro. I did. But then Buddha, James Edwards stepped it up. And then, you know, people would talk about starting and, and minutes. And I just don't think they realize I don't care that I didn't care. I only cared about winning and I only cared about my teammates. Everyone talks about how Dennis Rodman tripped out when I got traded and Chuck Daly um, got fired. He did because we were told and we were brainwashed and believing this was a family. And you don't trade your family members. Mm. But we still are. The only guys I talk to now are Rick Mahorn, James Edwards, Isaiah Thomas, Bill Lambert, Vinnie Johnson. That's it. I don't, I don't really talk to my other teammates, but we are on a group chat and and we talk and we we send our signal um which is your number one and you got to pick the finger that we use uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah and, and so yeah so that team starts to you know over the course of the next couple of years and by the way it is amazing how chuck daly in those you know kind of four or five years how he was 
you know, kind of working the lineup because that's like nine guys he's getting through, keeping happy. It's pretty impressive yeah. in the NBA um, and winning. Oh, by the way. Um, yeah. And a couple of years later, you're traded to the Heat and you're playing for Kevin Lockery. Um, and it's got to be frustrating because, you know, you've gone from this team that's always in the conversation for the title. And now you're just happy to make the playoffs once in three years. So that's got to be frustrating for a competitor. Yeah, it is. And then, you know, Kevin Lockery wasn't a fan of mine and I wasn't a fan of his. And so imagine I, I've always been respectful of my coaches. And, um, and it was funny. I, I, I said something like this a, a while ago and, and Kevin Lockery season, he goes, you know, why did he say that? What did I do to him? And, and I guess people don't realize when they're hurt, they hurt people. Hmm. You know, hurt people, hurt people. And he didn't realize some of the things he had said and done. And then when he got fired, um, it was one of the happiest days of mine. And I don't want anybody to lose their jobs, but Kevin had literally come at me a different way. And, and he thought I was coming at him. And I was like, dude, I don't have time to even think like that, man. You know? So yeah, I, I get down there to Miami. I love to this to this day. Uh, like I'm in New Jersey right now, shooting a, a new TV show for BT, but but I don't like the cold. And I I was told when I got to Miami, I was like, this is it. I'm never going to where it's cold again, and not to play. And I get traded from Miami to Toronto, where cold originates. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and oh, by the way, your old teammate is the GM Isaiah. I, I know, and he's not—he's not being the nicest guy in the world to me either. And um, at the time, you know, at the time it was like one—I uh, had a choice. He had a choice. He could have traded me to Orlando and taken two players, which I asked him to do. Mm-hmm. He said no. B.J. Armstrong got out of there. Yep. Uh, I had a situation to go back to Detroit. He wouldn't do that. And then I wanted you know, Chicago Bulls. And he was like, you know, he didn't, he didn't let me go until I forced his hand. And it was one of the worst deals. I've one of the best deals and the worst deal financially I've ever done. And I think Isaiah feels really bad that he put me through that as as well. Cause we're really cool right now. We're really cool. Mm -hmm. I was just with he and Rick Mahorn and George Blaha, the voice of the Pistons. Sure. About less than a month ago. Um, and and I think like first week of January. And I think he realizes that, you know, damn, I, I shouldn't have treated Sal like that. But, you know, we were young and people got get caught in their feelings on the craziest things. Sure. Um, but I, I, I literally hold back on 700 let them keep $750,000 just to get released from Toronto Raptors. Right. That's how bad but, it was. Well, yeah, for me, cause it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't going to benefit me. Right. Um, and then I get on Chicago and I win another ring. You, you go know? from an expansion team in, in the cold to, to arguably the greatest team of all time. Right. It's, it's certainly in the conversation. Yes. And yeah, so tell me about that. So that's fascinating on a couple levels. First of all, like you said, Buddha, James Edwards is there. Dennis Rodman is there. Yeah. Michael has just come back from his two-year you know, baseball career. 
you jump into this team midseason or, you know, kind of like two thirds of the way through the season. Um, and, you know, oh, by the way, this is the team that, you know, you guys have the Jordan rules. They institute the triangle offense to combat that. Like, you know, there's a rivalry there. What's that like yes. in the locker room? Well, but besides um, Red Auerbach tell me I'm going to be number two, mm-hmm. Jerry Krause has me come Doug Collins three times to visit. Mm-hmm. Three times. So I'm knowing I'm going to be a bull. MJ right. is my, you know, is my, is my dog, is my guy. And they pick Brad Sellers. And I want to, and I, and I want to kill them too. Anybody that has, that has dissed me, I felt I had a chip on my shoulder. They were going, they, they were going to get the business. Right. So when I get there and they're talking to me and I see uh, text winners and all that, I said, oh yeah, well, we're going to work you in, teach you the art triangle offense. I said, oh, I know the triangle offense. I said, we had tape on it. And he goes, what? And I show him, I bring all the VHS tapes and they see all the VHS tapes and they could not believe that we had video on how to break it down. But then they explain it to me and I love it right away. I'm understanding the progressions. I'm understanding why guys are moving. I'm seeing the triangle move in these positions. Tex Winters takes, takes, um, he loves working with me because I don't, I'm not rushing to go anywhere after practice. Right. I'm one of those guys that can sit in the gym realizing this is my job. Yeah. Student. He gives me, I, I, yeah, I have an autograph um, book from Tex Winters about the triangle offense. He said, you should teach this. And I go, yeah. Like when I didn't sign back with the, with the Bulls, I went to Greece. Right. When I didn't sign back with the Lakers, I retired. If I wasn't playing for Phil Jackson and doing and, and working in the triangle offense, I'm not, work, I'm not going to be here. The proven fact is Phil, Phil Jackson from 1999 or let's say from 2000 to 2011, won five championships in 10 years. So, I mean, and this is the triangle offense. Yeah, He won five championships um, with uh, Michael Jordan. Correct. It was five, right? Six. Six. One, two, six. Yeah. Triangle offense. Like, if you don't realize that, yes, he had Kobe and Shaq and Michael and Scott. Right. Meaning, if you got great players, now put the triangle in and you can't be beat. Steve Kerr has proven that. Steve Kerr is running a high triangle offense. You don't have to be high to do the triangle, but but <laughs> <laughs> it helps. Further out. No. <laughs> but it, it, he's running the triangle offense. It's just away from the basket. It's right, higher up. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So, yeah. So I was, I was intrigued about that because you played for Chuck Daly for all those years. Uh, you know, you've played for some legends, obviously. You played for Phil Jackson. You guys win. And I, I will say that that team, similar to your 89 team, watching from afar, it's like these guys are going to win. It was just obvious. You guys just mowed through the playoffs. And I think that the total record that year 
think you guys were 87 and 13, including playoffs. It's the best record ever. Yeah. So you can make the argument, obviously, best team ever. Um, and then at the end of that season, yeah, like you said, you go to Greece and you go to play for Tony Kukoc's old coach who had come over from um, Split. Uh, mm-hmm. But that you, you, Greece was not for you. Well, Greece... I'm more, I, I, I should have gone to Italy. If I would have gone to Italy, I'd still be in Italy. I, okay. I already know that. I, and if I would have probably, and I had a chance to go and play in France, in Provence or in Champagne, I would mm-hmm. I would still be there. But sure. Greece, this guy literally told me if Michael Jordan played in Greece, he would average only 16 points. I, I, I turned around and called my travel agent. I said, I cannot believe I'm playing for a crack addict. Like, you got to be kidding me. I'm getting 20 and 20 per night. Michael would get 60 a day. <laughs> I'm telling you. He, yeah. He'd be playing like the Greek freak. Hey, when I when I met Giannis and his brothers are sitting there and, and uh, this summer, it was, you know, he had the premiere of his movie and I met him and he's looking at me. And he knows me, but he's looking at his brother goes, he's looking at you because you pay for Panathinaikos. I go, yeah, I can tell. When I watched the movie and saw he would like Olympinakos made this kid that gave him a chance, I was like, oh, yeah, he's not going to like me one bit. Like, I'm playing for the enemy. But his brother played for Panathinaikos. I I love the experience. I hated the experience. Right. I I love the experience, but I didn't like, um, one playing for Marcos, Michaels, whatever his name is. I mean, we there's so many things different. It was like college to me. You know, we all sat down to eat bad food, and they would sit at this table and smoke cigarettes. So I saw that. So I pulled out a cigar, and they had to pull me to the side. They were like, "You can't smoke in front of the players." And I'm like, <laughs> "You." you're right next to the coaches can smoke but the players can't smoke do you smoke cigars in chicago i said every game (laughs) like what are you kidding me you know just this they wanted you to be like a college and i didn't like that i I heard they've changed since then and mr president of panathinaikos wound up passing on he was a great man um but the experience of living in europe every every american should go live in europe Every American should go to Europe at least for six months, nine months of their life. It's like in Israel, everybody should at least take three years and be in the military to realize how blessed you are to be a certain place. But every American should go live in Europe and they, we would have a better country because there's more respect. It's, it's, um, it's you understanding what's happening. It's you reading the paper. It's you living it every day. It's you having these traditions. And I just thought when I was in Greece, I was in a beautiful mansion that had three three levels, but uh, outside my house, there was no road. It was a beautiful mansion, but they forgot the, they forgot the infrastructure of putting the road in first. <laughs> and so you, you, you and there was no plugs in the house for telephones. Uh, so I had to use a cell phone, which was obviously 1996 years ahead of way it is now. Like, I don't even know anybody with a house phone besides you, Rich. Right. I, I don't know. Right. So <laughs> I don't have one. years ahead. <laughs> right. 
and it, it just it just also what I why I tell you every American needs to go to to Europe is it makes you respect and understand how great it is to be in America. Yeah, I hear you. It's it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I talked to I interviewed Bob McAdoo for this show probably six months ago, and his McAdoo of legend. And, uh, you know, his experience in Italy was unbelievable. I mean, it, it was like transformed his his legacy. Um, yeah. So it, it, it's interesting, you know, the experiences people have. And then and so then I'm fascinated. So then you come back and then three years go by and then you join the Lakers in 99. Was yeah. that Phil coming on board and just saying, hey, come on, you know, let's let's have one last ride. Or how did that happen? I This is the crazy. I'm sitting around and. You know, I don't watch basketball. Um, I, I do. I play basketball. I don't watch it. I'm, I don't want to watch other guys. And I'm watching, and I'm thinking, man, if they had the triangle offense with Shaq in the middle and Kobe, this this would be like, you know, it, this they wouldn't lose. And so I'm watching, and I got Phil's number. So I call Phil up. He's in Wyoming. And he said, hey, what's up, Long Tall? And I said, hey, what's up? you going to let these guys not win a championship? He goes, what are you talking about? I said, Kobe and Shaq, like, I know you're retired, but you need to come out of retirement, man. This triangle would be so good on this time. Look at all that's going. He goes, who you been talking to? I go, besides myself and, and, and my invisible friends over here, no one. <laughs> and And... He goes, nobody? I go, no, I'm just looking at it going, man, if Philly was here, he would have these guys running this offense. It would be amazing. He goes, I just took the job, but no one knows. I was like, oh, bro, I live five doors from Shaq. I I, I can get him to learn the offense because I know you guys are going to teach it the way you're going to teach it. But the way I teach it is in a modern, modern tone mm-hmm. to the point when I retired they still had me come back to do Laker 101 because I explained the triangle different with mm-hmm. modern words. And like right. I would tell, I would tell Tex cause who had written it cause it's a wartime thing. He would, he would say the point of no return or the moment of truth, you know, all of these things that come back from when he was growing up in the war, in the, in the wartime, World War One and two. Um, so, I would say, hey, you got to look at it differently. And I would say, you have to pivot. And and he would say things that you would use, but you can't use those anymore. Um, so he was like, are you in shape? And I was like, Phil, this is Sally. I stay in shape. Like, you know, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I have to show off this body. Like, you know, chicks <laughs> have to see that I'm in shape. And that was just my thing too, right? My job is to stay in shape. So I, I did. And he, he let me come in and and help Shaq out. And I hung out with Kobe. Um, you know, Kobe would want to know about so many things about back in the day when we were playing. And we would play every day. We would scrimmage every day, he and I. And I, I just know. And I remember when Phil didn't know if he should take Brian Shaw. And I was like, though, for what you need on this squad, I know you like tall guards. You know, he had... Derek Fisher, he doesn't like short guards. He likes tall guards. Right. It is what it is. And Brian Shaw was perfect. Perfect. Yeah. He and Harper, perfect in the situation. I was say, Harper came in from Chicago also from that yeah. bull with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
That's cool. So, and so one last season in the sun, another, you know, another big playoff run. Um, and, uh, and you get your third and was it, was it immediately after that, that you had the quote four rings on three teams in three decades, I'm done. Or when, yeah. when did... <laughs> yeah, in two millenniums. <laughs> in two millenniums, that's right. <laughs> I, I'm done. There's, there's nothing else. I thought I was done after three rings. And, you know, you just can't have as many rings as Michael because, you know, you got to let you got to let money do the, the talking. And anybody that knows money, you know, he doesn't even talk about the rings. What he said to me, because I did a picture in Cigar Aficionado with my rings and a cigar, and he goes, Man, you holding the cigar wrong. And I the next next thing you know, he got pictured with six rings. I was like, you are such a ego. But we would laugh at that kind of stuff. He goes, that's how you hold a cigar. And you see, MJ would only do the interview with Marvin Shankin. Like he that was his big interview, as long as he can sit there with his cigar and a scotch. And it was a great interview with Marvin Shankin. He wouldn't do it with anyone else. Mm. Um yeah, like people don't realize that. Like he, MJ's going to do what he's comfortable with, and with people who he knows not out to get him. So yeah, I, that was it. It was it was it was the end of the road. It was time for television, and I didn't know I was. I should have stayed in the sports lane. I probably be. I probably have you know great monies. Like it just gave Charles Barkley two hundred million dollars or something like that. But I, 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 it wasn't as entertaining to me. Like talking to you, and you going through it, then my brain will find it in the in the catacombs of my, of my uh, memory, and bring it back out. But every day talking about some things and acting like that was the most important thing on the planet, it's not. It's not. Guys realize it all the time. You don't hear from Tim Duncan. You don't hear from Carmelo. You don't hear from. Uh, David Robinson, you you don't hear from these guys. Sure. Um, and, and, you know, just thinking about it, like there's so many other things that happen. So many things that are important. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. and um, you, you did do, you did, what was it, the best damn sports show period? Yeah. Best. That was the best sports show in sports. show history. Yeah. I would put it up against any other show. Totally um, entertaining. Tom Arnold, yeah. you, yeah. And, and, you know, it would show these guys you need to laugh at yourself. OK, well, John, I have to tell you, John, Sally, uh, it's been great having you on. Fascinating hearing about, you know, the days in Brooklyn at Canarsie, the Georgia Tech years, obviously the run with the bad boys. And then and then the years playing for Phil Jackson in Chicago and L.A. A lot of fun. Thank you so much for coming on Chasing Hardware. Rich, I appreciate you, brother. Uh, I got that hardware, too. <laughs> you, got, you got a lot of hardware, man. You got a lot of hardware. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, take care, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Take care, bud. All right. And thank you for listening to Chasing Hardware. I've been your host, Rich Lumello. The Michael Stanley Band brought us in, and the suburbs with Life is Like are going to take us out. Speak to you next time. Tonight, it feels like life. Come on. Life is like
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.